your life is totally different now because you have this thing. And so it was just a whirlwind of different feelings. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Striving and Thriving Podcast, a podcast focused around the struggles of adulting and how we're all just trying to do our best and thrive at this thing called life. Today, our guest is Shannon. I met her in Southern Pines uh, during my first few months of moving here and living here, and she is just an incredible person. Um, She works for the military. She's actively serving in the military and works in the mental health field and just really is trying to help others in this career path that she's chosen, and it's just a really incredible thing to hear her talk about that, so I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode today. Thanks for listening. There you go. Um. Tori, how did you all meet? I didn't even ask you that beforehand. We have a fun meeting story. (laughs) Um, So it was two days after my birthday and um, I had a tour, a food tour, and there were just two people on it. Um, But I just started my food tour business like in February. This was in May. And so I was like, you know, I just I need to run tours and not cancel them. Um, So I'm going to run this tour with these two people and hopefully they're really cool and not awkward (laughs) because I... Like if you're, you know, with two people that are kind of awkward and they don't want to get to know you, then it's kind of weird. Um, But wow, I was so glad that I ran that tour um, because Shannon, who we're interviewing today, and uh, Michelle were on that tour that day. And it was just an amazing time. Um, We went to like the first few stops. And I think by stop three, we were like, is this really a food tour? Or is this just friends hanging out at this point? (laughs) They like bought me a drink for my birthday. And it was just honestly like, awesome and we the tour was supposed to end at I think like 8 30 and we stayed out to like 10 30 drinking some beer and having some good times and just oh, it was so just fun. really great I needed that in life um I needed some friends in the local area too so it was just like right time right place just really great um and then yeah since then we've done some yoga and done some other fun things I'm like blanking on other stuff that we've done Shannon <laughs> I know birthday parties. Birthday parties, yes, birthday parties. Yeah, lots of lots of things. Other food tours. Um, Shannon yeah, are like my biggest fans. So yeah, it's it's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Shannon, will you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, kind of, you know, what landed you in the same area story and just a little bit about you? Yeah. So um I guess like taking it all the way back to when I was growing up, uh, my dad was in the military. So I kind of moved around a whole lot. I never stayed in one place for more than three years at a time. And that was rare. Usually it was like two years and I'd be off to the next location. Um, And so I, when I went into college, I went where um, I went to Wofford. So that's where my, it's in South Carolina, small little town, Spartanburg, South Carolina, where my mom's family is from. So it was nice to like have some sort of stability for, for four years. And while I was there, I decided I wanted to do psychology. And then I was like, you can't do anything with a bachelor's in psychology. So I applied to doctorate programs, um, PsyDs, because it's more clinical instead of PhDs, which are more research-based. And I landed in a school up in Massachusetts, um, which is actually where my dad's side of the family lives. So it was nice to have more stability for another four years with some family and all of that. And while I was going through that, I realized that I wanted to work with the military population. And so then in my head, I was like, what better way to do it than to actually join the military and kind of get a sense of what their actual experiences are like, at least to the best of my ability, because I know that I'm not going to go 
get, I'm not going to get on any like crazy deployments or anything like that, but I can at least kind of have a little bit better of an understanding as to like what they're talking about when they come in and things like that. Um, so while I was in grad school, I applied for the army scholarship. I got it. And then my first duty station was in Fort Bragg, now Fort Liberty, North Carolina, which is how I ended up down there. Wow. What if, I feel like that sounds for what you're doing, I'm sure it all makes sense from an outsider's perspective. I'm like, I can't imagine doing all those things that you just said all at once in the same time frame and like portion of your life. Um, so what is what specifically are is the long term goal of what you're hoping to do with what you're studying? So I going into the military, I really wanted to make a career out of it. I wanted to do a full 20 years, um, get the retirement, all the benefits, all of that. And I wanted to I just really wanted to serve. I've been in for a year and three months now, and it's not what I was hoping it would be. Not in necessarily a bad way, just in that the longer that you stay in, I'm learning the more administrative type duties you're going to have. So instead of doing patient care, you're going to be operating a clinic or being in charge of other people who are doing patient care. And I just really my heart was on the patient care side of things. So there's only so far I can go in the military with that. So now I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm thinking about pivoting the plan and kind of figuring out what to do next, which I don't know yet. Um, all I know right now is I have four more years in the military and then I'm going to kind of figure it out from there. Awesome. Yes. And you've had a super exciting fall with your recent engagement and you getting your doctorate degree. So tell us about the past couple months and how that how that's been for you. It's been God, the past couple months have been crazy. It's almost like, <laughs> not so fast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's been so many feelings. <laughs> I was trying to think the last time I saw you I was like, <laughs> we like yeah. live 30 minutes from each other now. <laughs> but but you're in Texas and yeah, all over. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been wild. So leading up to getting engaged and getting my doctorate and everything. I knew that I was going to Texas. So my now fiance and I were trying to spend as much time together as we could and do as many fun things together as we could. Um, one of those things was celebrating our, cause I was going to be down here for our first year anniversary, which sucks. Um, but we decided to celebrate a month early. So we went to Brevard, North Carolina, um, in the mountains. It's really beautiful. Stayed at like this little tiny house. Like um, it was a converted school bus. Um, I love doing stuff like that. It's so much fun. Um, so I guess leading up to that, he decided that he wanted to propose. So I know that he called my parents, had that whole conversation with them. Um, I had an idea that it was coming. I just didn't know when or when. But in my head, I was like, okay, you called my dad to ask what to get me for Christmas. That's a little sus. <laughs> um, so in my head, I was like, it's coming. But um, again, didn't know when or where. And we got to Rivard. We went hiking. We went up to a waterfall. He did it there. We were filthy, disgusting. We had, we were sweating. We were smelly. We had dirt all over us. We had the dog with us. It was just a hot mess. And it was perfect because that's just right we are and it was just real and I loved it I loved it it was great um so that was a great way to kind of kick off it was it was bittersweet I guess like it was a really great time but then also knowing that I was going to Texas a few weeks after that was like oh that sucks <laughs> um so that was a big emotional thing that we had going on and then getting my doctor it was also very exciting it was just a big weight off of my shoulders um and it was nice to have that done because my 
dissertation was just taking all of the energy that I had. So finally not having to worry about that was amazing. Um, and then during all of that, I also found out that I had type one diabetes. So there's something else. All over the place. It was like these two great things happened. And then, oh, your life is totally different now because you have this thing. And so it was just a whirlwind of different feelings and different thoughts and different, like thinking about the future and stuff like that. So it was, it was just all over the place. Well, congratulations on the two fronts of getting engaged and completing your doctorate. That's amazing. I always love to hear engagement stories that are kind of like non-traditional, I guess, or like, like you said, like so much like who you are as a couple, because I feel that so much. Yeah. Um, I just think it's so fun when a story of an engagement fits that couple so perfectly. And that's awesome. And it's so special for you guys. Um, will you share a little bit about if you don't mind, some of like the health things you were experiencing that then led you to kind of get to that diagnosis of type one diabetes and how it's affecting your life now and kind of what's, what you have to do differently for people who just don't have any education on that. Yeah. So I'm still learning too. Um, definitely learning a lot still. It's, it's crazy. Um, so the way that I found out, so through my, through the program I'm in right now, so over in Fort Liberty, I just did my internship for my clinical psychology degree program next year. So when I get back in January, I'm starting my residency program. During the residency program, we take a, I think it's like two or three weeks. Um, we take a two or three week training. It's an aeromedical training. So we learn how to do psychological evaluations for aeromedical stuff like that. Um, and we have to get a flight evaluation done, which is silly because we don't fly. So it's like, why do we have to get this exam done? But we do. And so when I went in, um, I told them that I have Hashimoto's thyroid stuff. So that's essentially the precursor to hypothyroidism. And I've been stable on medication since I was in undergrad or since, since grad school. So I've been on medication for the past like five or so years for that. Um, and because of that, I have to get a waiver essentially. So they're like, we have to make sure that either not taking the medication or if like if the medication runs out like that, you'll still be functional and that you can do all of the things you're supposed to do and that there's no other underlying conditions and stuff like that. So they referred me to an endocrinologist before they could give me the waiver because the waiver had to come from an endocrinologist who could kind of dive a little deeper into that. So when I went in to see her, she was like, okay, I'm going to run some more blood work just to make sure that everything else is okay. And I had mentioned that a few months before that, I went to my primary care, did basic labs, and that my A1C and my glucose levels were in the pre-diabetic range. And so I told her, I was like, I've done these crazy lifestyle changes with my fiance. Like we went on this new diet. We cut out pasta, carbs, like breads, oh. cut out rice, like we cut out added sugar. So we cut out a lot of things. So going into this lab, I was like, oh, these numbers are going to go down and it's going to be so great. And when I went in and the results came back, they actually went up. So they got worse. Oh my gosh. That's weird because I'm doing all of the lifestyle changes. And because I'm 27, initially they were like pre-diabetes type two, make the lifestyle changes. And I was like, cool, did that, still got worse. So then she decided to run other, um, other labs. So I had to go in for a glucose tolerance test, which is 
usually what they give pregnant women to determine if they have gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. So I drank this nasty orange liquid that was 75 grams or whatever of sugar. And it was gross. So they take your blood before that. You chug that in five minutes. And then, yeah. And then they take your blood two hours after that. When they took my blood two hours after that, it was 269. The glucose level was 269, which is like borderline. If you have ketones in your urine, when that happens, you have to go to the emergency room and like get some quick acting insulin to bring it down. Diabetic ketoacidosis, which could lead to a coma. So that was a great time. Um, it was very high. And so when that came back, she was like, this isn't, this isn't normal. This isn't right. Like it should not be that high, especially two hours after you had the sugar beverage. So I went in and did some different antibody tests and those all came back positive, which led her to giving me the diagnosis of latent autoimmune diabetes in adulthood or LADA, which is like a type, it's a, it's technically a type one diabetes, but it's not like typical type one diabetes, which presents when typically you're a kid and that, but it also wasn't type two lifestyle type stuff either. So essentially the best way that I wrapped my head around it is like similar to the thyroid stuff. Hashimoto's is a precursor to hypothyroidism. Like you're going to have full-blown hypothyroidism eventually in your life. And it's going to stay that way. Lada is almost like the precursor to full-blown type one diabetes that Mm. you need insulin. So right now I'm still producing insulin, but my antibodies are attacking my um, pancreas. Yeah. Pancreas that's producing the insulin and eventually it'll stop producing insulin on its own, which is when I'll need the artificial insulin. So that's been wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so wild. So it was wild. An accident finding out too. Right. 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 And like pain wise, like, are you, do you feel like, or were you feeling like any type of pain in your body or like, like, what were you feeling in your body, I guess, that like led you to, you know, I know with the Hashimoto's even like getting that all checked out in the beginning. Yeah. So that way back in undergrad, the Hashimoto's was um, my one of the thyroid antibodies that they test for was always really high. And they were like, okay, that means that it's attacking your thyroid. So you're underproducing what you need to be doing. Um, so I had to start taking Synthroid when I got to grad school because they were like, you probably have Hashimoto's, but you're asymptomatic right now. And that was when I was an undergrad. When I got to grad school, I started exhibiting, um, I had a really hard time losing weight. So I gained a lot of weight and had a really hard time losing it. And um, I started exhibiting severe symptoms of depression and I'm not a depressed person. So like I'd show up to work and before I could do anything, I had to sit in the bathroom for 10 minutes and just cry because it was just too much. And I was like, this is not me. This is not who I am as a person. Like I've never experienced this before. I don't know what's happening to me and I have no control over anything. So I went in and I told my doctor about all that. And she was like, okay, we'll run some more tests because I know that this is something that you've been monitoring before. It sounds like you might be starting to be symptomatic now because a lot of depressive symptoms are present in thyroid conditions. So they try to rule out the physical stuff before they rule out the psychological stuff. Um, so they did that and then they put started me on the Synthroid and that's been that like totally changed everything. Wow. So I, I like when I was experiencing it, I felt like a zombie just going through the motions of life and it was awful. 
And so that's kind of what led me to go in and be like, yeah, I think that this is what's going on now. And they were very receptive and very like, yep, let's get, let's get you tested. Yeah. The numbers are this, like you need this medication. So let's get that started. Did you, did you find that your experience, um, going through all of your health history and all of your health, um, just different experiences with doctors. Did you find that you were well heard or was it something that you had to document for a long time? Was it something that you had to kind of like prove you're having these problems? Was it a long drawn process or did you get pretty lucky right away with someone listening to you and really understanding that you had something going on? I think that starting off in undergrad, when I had my basic labs drawn and it was showing some questionable thyroid stuff going on, I wasn't having any symptoms. So it wasn't a really big concern, but I think because that established the foundation for when I did mm. start having symptoms, it was mm. a lot easier to go in and be like, Hey, this is what's been happening in the past. Now I'm having these symptoms. And she was very much, and it's such a low dose too, that it's like, okay, like we can just start you here and keep you here essentially. And right. that's what helped. And then, um, I think the one time that I was having a hard time was when I was starting to go through the at least before before seeing the endocrinologist, just with the primary care at Fort Liberty, um, I went in because I, so the medication was helping more so with like my mood and everything. I still wasn't losing a whole lot of weight, but it wasn't weighing on me as heavily like as it did before. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not losing weight, but I'm not like upset about it. But I did fail height and weight one time and failed mm-hmm. the tape in the military. So when, when that happens, they have to put you through um, the Army Body Composition Program, ABCP. And so what that means is that you have to like document what you're doing to lose the weight for the next weigh-in. You have to do monthly weigh-ins and you have to see a nutritionist. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool because I wanted to see a nutritionist anyway. So I'm going to look at this as a growing opportunity. Good for you. Good for you. (laughs) So when I was, when I was going through all of that, part of it was going to see my primary care physician for a full on workup and all of that. And I was trying to see if there was any way I could get it waived because of thyroid stuff. And he was like, no, like you've been on the medication, you're pretty stabilized on it. Like there might be another reason, but it's not that. Um, but when I was going through that whole process and the A1C and glucose were high, it was very much just make the lifestyle changes. And mm-hmm. even, even before talking about the lifestyle changes, it was, we have these weight loss medications we can put you on. And I was like, okay, so I'm coming in. And the first thing you're saying is we can put you on these medications. And I'm like, that seems like not the best way to go about it. Like I'd very much like to actually try to do other things before going on medications that have side effects and have other things that could potentially like mess with me. So I think that was probably the one time that I was like a little put off by the medical care system in terms of like, okay, so you're resorting to medication right away. I was like, I don't want to do that. He was like, okay. So went through that whole thing, did the lifestyle changes. And then with the endocrinologist, when I immediately, when I'm, when I mentioned the A1C and glucose, she was like, we can run more tests. Like, that's fine. It's not going to hurt anybody. And when it came back worse, she was like, okay, we'll run more tests because worst case scenario, like it'll tell us something like, you know, right. so she was just like, we'll just do it. Cause it's not going to take any time or resources away from other people. Like it's fine. So okay. she did that. And it was very nice to be able just to get those. I feel it happened very quickly. Right. Right. And like, since getting that diagnosis, how, 
Has, does that affect your military career in any way or they're able to work with like diabetes? I, I guess if you're not going to like combat zone or anything, like there's, it's okay, right? So technically I'm not supposed to be in the military. <laughs> there you go. It's a disqualifying condition. So okay. yeah. So that was kind of a big like slap in the face of like, oh God, what am I going to do if I have to get out of the military in the next few months? Um, that said, because I'm not on insulin right now, I have a better mm-hmm. chance. And there's a really good advocate at the hospital too. And he's like, I have people who have it who are still in and still serving. So if I have that behind me, then I should be okay. But there are other doctors, like one of my primary cares, it's like, this is a disqualifying condition. You shouldn't be here. I'm like, I know, but this person is arguing that I can. So until... Yeah, and I feel like yeah. it's going to take them four years to figure all that out anyway. And by that time, you'll be on your way out. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, I was like, listen, I just want to finish my residency. If I finish my residency and then they're like, you have to get out. I'm like, okay, well, at least I finished these two. Right. Then you can go have a career. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the resources. Goodbye. <laughs> right. Right. So it's been like, it's been interesting. So I have an appointment when I get back. I actually have two appointments. I have to get tested for celiac disease because mm. it's like the trifecta of autoimmune disorders is the Hashimoto's, the LADA, and celiacs. Wow. So I'm going to be tested for that in December. I'm going to actually be very surprised if I don't have it. I'm expecting really? I'm expecting to come back with it. No, how will we do beer and yoga? You can't drink this beer. And they don't let you do it anyway. I know. <laughs> One beer, it's fine. Oh, but um, yeah, so I'm getting tested for that in December. And in January, I have an appointment with the um, the advocate and the educator. So I'll see what he has to say and all of that. And they even said, too, they were like, if it goes down the route of having to get out of the military, like, we still wait six months to put the referral in because we want you to get familiar and trained well on these different like the the continuous glucose sensor, we want you to get trained up on the um, insulin, the insulin, I don't even know what it's called, the machine that pumps insulin in so you don't have to do it yourself type of things. They're like, we want to make sure that everyone fully understands what they're doing before they leave here. And then after that, it's still like at least another year, usually with the process of getting out medically. So worst case, I'd still have a year and a half. Yeah, there you go plenty of time I, <laughs> I feel like they're gonna push that down now just keep pushing it right. <laughs> so if we switch to talking about all the things that you have taken on what has been your favorite thing that you've experienced throughout either your educational experience of like really getting to follow your dreams and do exactly what you want or even if there's been a silver lining to joining the military what's been your favorite thing throughout your whole process not um, Tuesdays. What? I said not Tuesdays. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, not Tuesdays. <laughs> we have affectionately coined Tuesdays as Suicide Tuesdays because you have to have a sense of humor about things when you go into these kinds of professions. Um, and Tuesdays were my walk-in crisis days, which is when people who were more likely to be suicidal would come in. So that's Good just me. it's just like so it pulls at your heartstrings man it's like man yeah but I think that's probably my favorite thing too is like being able to be there for people who need to talk 
regardless of what it is. If they're like, oh, I just went through a rough breakup or, oh, I'm like severely depressed and want to go jump off a building. It's like, okay, let's talk about this and let's find a way to get you to not do that. And just being that person that someone can go to and just share everything and feel comfortable and safe, just creating that environment for them. It's really rewarding. Is there an experience that you had in your life that kind of molded you to want to be that for other people? I think just throughout life in general, I was kind of always the person that people would go to to talk. Um, And with my dad in the military and me becoming more and more interested in mental health, he had more and more conversations with me about his experiences on deployments or his experiences with other um, service members who have had mental illness, things like that. So I think that that really kind of continued to push me in that direction. And then as I've gotten older, like I was kind of that person for my parents, if my siblings were getting out of line or anything, or I was that person for my siblings, if they were like, well, I don't know what to do with this situation. And so I've just always kind of been that person. That's awesome. How do you like separate your work from life? Because I know that it like can be really hard and and hard in the way that like you're serving and helping other people. And I know that you like love it, but there's also that like where you're taking on, you know, that that feeling sometimes I'm I'm very empathetic. So I think like when people pour their heart out to me, I'm like, okay, I need to go decompress for an hour because that was a lot. And maybe like your commute helps you do that or something. So how do you what's what's your system? Yeah, I mean, I love listening to music on the way to and from work. Um, That definitely like gets me going. Before I moved, before before I bought my house and moved, I didn't have like a whole lot of great cell phone service. So it really was just listening to music. Like typically I'll call people on the phone and talk um, because I like to do that too. But the music was really helpful in those times. Um, And I think I've just always been very good at compartmentalizing and like building my little boxes around like, okay, this is what someone told me at work and that stays at work and just kind of leaving it there. Um, There have been times where People have said, and it's, it's actually kind of, it's not as common for me, I think, to feel like I need to like recharge because most of the time it's stuff that like, most of the time it's stuff that like, okay, we can solve this by implementing this or like Mm -hmm. there are steps we can take that can improve the situation or help the situation and other settings where it feels a little more, um, I don't know where it feels like more heavy or more like there's not a clear cut answer. I think that's when I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do to help you. And I don't like that. And um, like, I remember there was one time a guy came in, I was observing this one. I wasn't actually doing this one, but he came in and he, it was walking. He just had a 24 hour shift. And as soon as his 24 hour shift call um, got done, he got a call that his brother was murdered. Yeah. So he came in and he sat down and he just broke down and said that. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I don't even know what to do. Like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't want to send you out of this office ever. Like stay here, stay in the safe little box. And so that one was really hard. And I think some like similar to those kinds of stories where it's like, I was not expecting that. And I don't know where to go from here. And just taking 10 minutes to either walk outside or talk to a coworker or the supervisor and just kind of process what we experienced together. 
um, is always, I think, very helpful. Yeah, I guess I've never really thought about that with like a walk-in clinic is, you know, with like your regular mental health, like helping people and even people that like make appointments, like, you know, sure, you're going to hear some things that maybe you don't expect, but like with that walk-in clinic, you really have no idea who is walking through that door and what they're going to need assistance with and what they're bringing to the table, you know, in terms of like, how can I help you? I mean, that is just I'm sure you guys have in this is your training, right? <laughs> your intensive training where it's like you just have all the different scenarios. Like, is that something that's in the training? Is all the different scenarios of what people could be going on with and how to respond to them? Like, is that what you're taught? Not really. And I think that's something that a lot of this year has talked about because we've had, I've had some really great supervisors in terms of like arguing for and against manualized treatments. Um, in terms of like, yeah, you can prepare for these things, but once they come in, you don't know what, you don't know how they're going to present. You don't know what's going to happen. And while manualized trainings can be beneficial, it's not a one size fits all type of treatment. Like you have to be able to kind of cater it to the individual and they don't, I don't think they do a very good job of teaching how to do that. Yeah, that's... I think it's tough with the military, like having also worked for the military just as a civilian, like it's, it's tough to get anything moving when it comes to like reform and changes and how things have always been done, you know, and it's just, it's an interesting thing. You can talk about it all day long, but I mean, and you can even do it. You can get a completed project and hand it to somebody, but they're not going to do anything with it. And I think that's um, definitely a difficult challenge that the military faces is that it's just, it's sometimes it's so big that it's just really hard to like make these small changes that help make these improvements over time, you know? Yeah. It's tough. What you got, Brie? I was just wondering, so we talked a little bit about how like you decompress by, you know, talking to your supervisor and listening to music. Are there other day-to-day things that you do for self-care that you have found really work for you as you've become an adult and have you as you've come into this really hard field? Um, what are your, what are some of your self-care rituals? So this would not be a self-care thing for everybody, but I personally love cooking. So hey, you when do I, you. <laughs> I love it. So when I get home, so my fiance and I just got a dog. She's five months old. She's the cutest thing. So I get home, I give her a little bit of leaven, I go change. And then I immediately start with dinner. Cause I'm like, I, I just need to cook, like cutting things, doing something tangible that I know that I can do well, that I have control over is something that is, it's a good way to kind of leave work at work. Um, so I get home, I make dinner and leading up to making the dinner, I plan out the entire month of food because I just love eating. And so that's like another, like kind of wrench in the whole thing is like, I can't eat the same things that I did before. So I have to find new and creative ways to do that. And that's okay. I'm learning. Um, <laughs> So I love planning the food, the meals. I love cooking the meals. Um, so I'll do that. And then we sit, we, eat, we don't even eat at the table. We eat at the couch and we watch, <laughs> we like have like a TV show that we work our way through. So we just finished watching Dexter. So now nice. we have to another one to like kind of work our way through. So it's like my nightly schedule of just going home, making dinner, sitting on the couch and watching TV with my fiance. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think that we forget in any field, just as adults in general, I think we forget how 
um, self-care plays such a role into our everyday lives and that it can truly be whatever makes you feel good. You know, if cooking makes you feel good, if going for a walk makes you feel good, if reading makes you feel good, I think people forget that that self-care piece is so important and it can truly be whatever it is for you. And it's so personal. Yeah. Yeah. And like giving yourself that grace to be able to do it, you know, like I need to go do this, this and this, but my body is wanting a walk. So I need Mm -hmm. to go take a walk, you know, and like that, that walking is it's not a chore, but it's a chore in the sense of like, I need to get it done for my body and for me. And like, it's just such an interesting thing. And I think like time wise, you know, like having enough time in the day, which is something that like Shannon, I just, I don't know how you do it, to be honest, like just (laughs) with Max's schedule and everything that he has to get done throughout the day. And then like for him to come home, like there's no way that he could come home and go change and then cook a whole meal and then go to the gym and do all these things. So I just, I'm so impressed like by you. And um, I've like, like been really impressed too when you've like shown up for yoga and I'm just like I don't know how you're here right now like what in the world like, I, you're like, I just, I been since lunch it's like 11 I'm like dude it's 6 30 and we're going into a yoga class for an hour like how have you not eaten all day it's just like so it's impressive and I yeah I just thank you for your service and thank you for you know being you and yeah it's just I I just really it, you're inspiring. You're very inspiring. Yeah. I just, having like a set schedule, I think is what really helps, helps me. Um, I was going to a gym and I don't think I'm going to be going there anymore when I get back, just cause it's a lot of money and it's just a lot. So Matt and I got, um, a couple's YMCA membership. So I think like, we're going to start a new schedule and that like, once I leave work, I'm going to like at work, I'm going to change into my workout clothes, meet him at the gym. We're going to do our workout and then we'll go home. I'll make dinner and then I'll, we'll eat and then I'll shower and then we'll watch TV and all of that. So I think it's just like the, having the set blocks of time. And like on Tuesdays with yoga, I know that that's something that I can look forward to. It's like, I get to listen to music for 45 minutes while I drive to yoga. I get a beer. I get to like hang out. I get Thai food afterwards. I get to see my girls. It's great. So it's like <laughs> stuff that I get to look forward to. Right, right. Have you ever felt like with that schedule <clears throat> that it can sometimes be hard to like, I don't I don't know. Do you ever just need like a complete rest day? Yeah, sometimes. Um, I know there have been like maybe a handful of Tuesdays that I'm like, I can't hit yoga today because I just it's just too much. Um, there are days where I'm like, I can't go to the gym today because I have no energy. And on weekends, depending on the day, like usually there's a day where I stay at home, like do things around the house, hang out. And then another day where it's like, all right, let's go out and like do something. So I try to find that balance of like not wanting to waste the weekend inside, but also needing that recovery day. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, so we asked on your like survey thing, we do these little survey things, um, what your love language was. Yes, and- that's the next thing I wanted to ask about. You go, Tori. Okay, good, good. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your love language and how that works in your relationship with Matt and all the things. So it's, I think it's really funny. I, my, the way that I give love is by giving gifts. That's not the way that I receive love though. Um, cause I know that those are different. I like to give gifts and show that I'm like thinking of people and things like that. What's funny is he hates gifts. He <laughs> hates receiving. He hates when people spend money on him. So that's been I just fun. am convinced <laughs> that that's how relationships work. Like you're just, you find the person 
that you love and that's great and your relationship is so wonderful and you have complete opposites of how you give and receive love and I'm like wait what what how did that happen (laughs) right right so I think he's kind of he's gotten used to it at this point like while I was here I sent him a um there's this website called note cube and you can either have the website do it like you click off a whole bunch of traits about your person and then they like generate all these notes to send to them in like a little box um or you could write them on your own. So I wrote like 64 little notes on all these like different note cards to send to him. Um, Ranging from like details of our first date to just things I love about him or what I'm hopeful for for the future, whatever the case may be. And it's like, he gets the things that I buy and he's like, that is so sweet. That's really, I like, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. But also I hate gifts. (laughs) I think it's like that compromise of like okay I'm not gonna go like overboard but I'm still gonna get you stuff right right that's just the way it is but I think his love language the way he receives love is quality time mm-hmm. because when I'm home he doesn't like physical touch he doesn't like gifts um he doesn't necessarily need like the words of affirmation or anything I think it's like that when I'm home and we sit on the couch and we watch tv together type of thing um which is hard right now because you're yeah on the but- but we literally do all like over the weekends what we'll do is I'll just have him on unless I'm doing something so like this past weekend there were two days where I was out doing things with friends but like we're texting the whole time or like Sundays are probably my favorite day because all I do is lay in bed and we watch football (laughs) all day but we're on FaceTime so like I'm there the whole time and it's like we're sitting together on the couch but we're just looking at each other through a screen. Uh, so we're still we're still doing that as that's much as good. and I guess it depends on like physical touch. And that's like kind of a good compromise, you know? It's like you're still getting that quality time. That's great. Yeah. I yeah. Was like, oh, I, my is quality time and I'm not getting any quality time, but it's because Max and I never get to talk because he's always busy. <laughs> it's like ah. Yeah, and that makes it hard. And so like on weekdays when I'm in class and everything, like when I'm done at nighttime, we'll still have like two or three hours just to like watch our show or whatever it is we want to do and just have each other up on on like FaceTime or video chat. Um, and then the th- I think the way that I receive love is, I don't know. I feel like it depends on, it depends on the day because there are days when I'm like, oh, you clean the house and that's amazing. So like those acts of service and I'm like, I really appreciate that. And like, I don't know what I would do without you. Um, like he just did a full on organization of the house this weekend. And I was just like, I like, thank you so much. I can't even believe that you did that. And then there are other days where I'm like, I need the words, like I need the reassurance. I need the sweetness. And then other days that I'm like, I need the, um, the quality time. So I think it just kind of depends on, on the day for me. I feel like with your career, that makes sense. The things that you experience are so different on a day-to-day basis that it makes a lot of sense to me that you would need love in a different way, depending on what you've gone through in your day. That makes sense Mm -hmm. to me. It seems logical. Yeah. And I think he's very good at that. Like he's very good at the acts of service and quality times. We do that every night and all of that. So, I mean, I think it's, he's very good at stuff like that. Um, I have a prompt for you and it's a little funny, but if you're comfortable sharing and if not, we can cut this out. But um, Matt's story, his ambulance story is mm-hmm. the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I, are you comfortable sharing it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't yeah. care. He tells, he tells everybody. Um, okay. 
it's wild it's crazy and I'm so uh, so I'm so glad I did not know him when this happened because I would have been a mess and I wouldn't have known what what to do with myself um so it was March of oh it was almost two years ago now and it was March he was driving home and he was so the way like the roads work I guess it's like two lanes on this side going the same direction a median and then two lanes on the other side going the opposite direction and he was going over a hill and he got into a head-on collision with an ambulance and was unconscious for three days was a john doe like broke his face broke his neck broke his arm like totally unresponsive like like just total john doe for three days um, and had to go through all these crazy surgeries and stuff like that. But essentially what happened was the ambulance driver, I guess, didn't know that it was a one-way road in both lanes and they went the, yeah, yeah. And it was dark and they couldn't see and whatever, but they were also transporting a patient and they didn't have their lights on and it was a whole, they were doing a lot of things wrong it sounds like. Um, and so when they went over the hill and he went over the hill, they just got into this huge home collision. <laughs> and that's, yeah. So I don't know how he came out of it as well as he did. Um, he definitely still has like, he has nerve damage, so he can't like pain. his arms. Like pain. Yeah. 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 All the, all the chronic pain stuff. And, um, it took a while for me to convince him to go to like to an amusement park because he was afraid that the roller coasters would like jolt his head too much and his neck oh. would hurt and like things like that. But it was, yeah, it was crazy. He was in the hospital for a real long time. He um, like all of his family came down and stayed with him. And I'm just so glad at that point in my life, I did not know him because right. I just, I would have been a mess. Yeah, How did mess. the two of you meet? We, so we met on Bumble. <laughs> Which is actually funny. So our friend Michelle that she was saying about like the yoga and the food tour and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so whew, okay, long story short. Her husband is in the Marine Corps. Okay. Her husband used to work for my dad when we lived in California when I was in middle school. So my family has known them and I've known them for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So I joined the army. I moved to Southern Pines. My mom comes to help me move in. We post a picture on Facebook with some beer from the Southern Pines Brewery. And Michelle comments on her post. And she's like, where did you get that beer? I live in Southern Pines. My mom was like, no way. My daughter just moved here. Um, she just joined the army. And this is her first duty station. She was like, that's cool. I can swing by tomorrow if you tell me where she lives and all that. And my mom was like, yeah, cool. So she did. Turns out Michelle lived like across the street from me. <laughs> <laughs> which was super cool. Like literally, like you go out of my neighborhood, you go past a red light and she lives like right there. Um, so she came and we became really good friends after that. And I started going and she was like the only friend that I had when I first got there. So I was having dinner with them every night because I'm a people person. I don't like to be by myself. So I was just doing everything with them <laughs> and became best friends. And um, there was a couple of nights that we would go and watch her son do um, like little league baseball. Mm. We would sneak some wine in our little <laughs> bottles and heckle the poor coaching. And it was a great time. <laughs> While we were there, she was like, you need to download a dating app because you're single. And all of my friends in Virginia are single. 
I'm not single and they're in Virginia. So I have to live vicariously through you. <laughs> She's like, so download the dating app. And I was like, I really don't want to, like, I don't want to, I don't want a relationship. I don't want anything. Like, I'm just trying to just adjust. There's to a lot being... going on. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm just trying to adjust to being here. Like, I don't want to, I don't want anything like serious, whatever. And she was like, just do it. I was like, okay, fine. So I did. And then we ended up matching and going on a date and the rest was history. That's so cute. That's so funny. The world is so small sometimes. So big, but so small. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Your whole story, your whole life is just, I'm, this is the first time I've even met you and I'm totally in shock and awe, just like Tori is. I think that what you're doing is so cool. And this idea that you're just making it work and following your dreams is that in itself is commendable since I'm at such a loss for what I want to do next with my life. So even someone who's like just doing exactly what they want to do and following their dreams is, is so commendable to me right now. So I think that that's awesome. And congratulations on everything that's recently happened for you in your life and all the hard things that you've worked for. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hopefully I get to see you again soon. I know. I'm in the Texas. I'll be back December 15th. Okay, good, good. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Awesome. All right. Well, I think we're going to end it out here, but thank you so much. And uh, we'll chit chat with you later. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye.